quick FYI, we recorded this episode on Tuesday before the news that uh, Lionel Messi has reportedly requested to leave Barcelona. So if there's an absence of Messi-shaped discussion in this podcast, it's because we cut everything out uh, because it was immediately totally irrelevant. We will redress this in future podcasts and potentially a future video. But for now, please enjoy all of this La Liga content, Lionel Messi free. Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from the Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and today I'm joined by Alex Stewart. Good morning, Joe. Also Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hi, Joe. And a special guest, Dermot Corrigan, who I've left a pause for, but he's not here yet. So uh, he'll be joining us for the for the main thrust of today's episode, which, of course, is a sensible transfers episode all about La Liga. That's the league in Spain, the top one. Uh, we talk today about teams such as Barcelona, Real Madrid, Valencia, Atletico Madrid, miscellaneous, which is just uh, other things. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. So thanks to Dermot for coming. Thanks to you for downloading. Um, and uh, we'll get on with it after this message. Hey, do you like football? Yes. Do you like reading about football? Yes. Then you should read about football at the place that I send you to read about football for a small fee. And that's The Athletic. So if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO transfers, you can get 40% off an annual subscription currently, which I believe works out to be about £3 a month. Oh, the quality's high. Um, you'll you'll listen to Dermot today. You're going to love Dermot, just like we did. Uh, Dermot writes a lot about La Liga for The Athletic. We've also got James Horncastle on Serie A. We've got Rafa Honigstein and the Bundesliga. We've got, I don't know, 100 journalists for, you know, the Premier League and, and uh, Championship and Scottish Premier League and... Oh, there's too much to take in and explain in a short advert, so I won't try any more. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO transfers. Anyway, uh, for now, I will leave you in the uh, the warm hands and the cool embrace of Dermot Corrigan. Okay, Dermot. Uh, Ramon Planes has succeeded Eric Abadal as the uh, the new technical director at Barcelona. Uh, Abadal was sacked last week. Um, in fact, I don't know if this is uh, true or not, but I saw a, a photograph that appeared to be taken through a window on Twitter. Is that a real photograph or was that some clever spoof? The photograph of Abadal with, with Sedien. Yeah, it seemed to be a real photograph. It, it looked quite like a, a photographer got a tip off. Um, that somebody had noticed that Abidal and Sedian were having lunch together. Now, who gave him the tip-off? We, we won't know, but it is true that around Barcelona, there's a pretty close relationship between some of the local reporters and the people in the club. And there was a lot of choreography going on over the last couple of, of weeks, really, since they got knocked out by, by Bayern. Barca have been on, the Barca board, anyway, have been on quite a, a big 
PR offensive to try to show that they're, especially the president is in charge, that, you know, it's, it was an awful mess. It's, it's very bad to lose 8-2 to, to Bayern Munich, obviously, but I'm here to sort it out. And part of that was the, the way that Sedien went one day, then Abidal went the next day, and, you know, then Koeman arrived, and now he, he's trying to kick out some of the, the senior players. So, yeah, it was an interesting photo to, to show up and maybe just a little insight into how things tend to work in the, the way the Catalan media and the club. Yeah, because it seemed, I mean, again, not sure if this is true or not, but it did seem like they were asking Eric Abadel to uh, to fire Setien and then he was fired himself the next day, which seems like a, 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 a cruel last task to ask. Yeah, that that's probably a little bit too organised exactly for, for Barcelona, the way that things work. Uh, like whether they, Sedian knew he was going to be fired. I don't think, you know, Sedian showed up to any lunch with Abidal with his plan for next season and, you know, all the players that he wanted to sign. Uh, and then he was surprised to, to learn that, that he wasn't going to be there yeah. d- doing the job. You know, the two guys who, who worked together, who've been through a lot together, and maybe they, they both had a feeling that they weren't going to last too long and they went for lunch together. Um, uh, I would say that's more likely. Whether Abidal knew that he was about to be fired or not is is not that clear because, you know, in the, the statement that Barca released saying Sedian was sacked, uh, it mentioned that the current technical department were going to, to work on putting together a new squad with the new coach. And Abidal at that stage was head of that technical department. And then 24 hours later, he was gone. And Abidal himself has said since then that it was his decision to leave. There have been a lot of, of knives out. There's been a lot of... Um, jockeying for position, a lot of fingers pointing both in public and behind the scenes and then in the leaks to the media. But in the end, Abidal has gone and his reputation has taken a, a pretty bad um, turn over the last six months or so. Damn it. With the decision to appoint Koeman, um, has anyone at Barcelona watched a Ronald Koeman team play over the last five years? Or is this just a decision based on the kind of um, familiarity of DNA? Yeah, they've, more than having seen much of his Southampton or Everton teams, um, they've watched the video of him scoring the goal in 1992 that won Barcelona <laughs> their first ever European Cup a lot. And that, that is ingrained in the minds of, of everybody at Barcelona. It's a huge moment for, for the club. It's maybe the biggest moment even... You know, it was the first time that they had won the Champions League, so you could argue that that's an even bigger moment than you know Messi scoring in the Champions League against Manchester United or or any of the the, the achievements later that Barca had never won a Champions League, and that that's the turning point in their history. Another reason that they they think it's a good idea to, to sign him is that they feel that he is the guy with the personality and the the status and the character to to be able to do the job of telling. Uh, the senior players that they no longer want that that they're no longer wanted and to be able to manage that situation whether that's actually true or not you know remains to be seen and there's there's evidence to suggest that maybe he's not the best person to to give that task to but they were short on options there weren't that many people around who 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 were willing to take the job and who were acceptable to to the Barca fan base and and Kuman is the one who who they've landed on it's not quite a strange appointment politically. Am I right in thinking there's um, presidential elections in 2021? Is that right? Yeah, the current board cannot go. There's elections have to be called um, by like the next March or so in order to be held at the end of next season. And the current president Bartomeu it cannot stand again for for election. His term is up. So Coman knows, and he said himself that he signed a two year contract, but that will be dependent on on how this season goes. And he he almost kind of said that he knows that he has to do really really well in order to 
to keep the job because everybody who wants to be Barcelona president after Bartomeu is going to run on a, a platform of coming in and shaking everything up, clearing things out, especially at, at board level and coach level. Um, and, you know, whether Xavi Hernandez is attached to one of the the candidates who come in, he's very close to Victor Font, who has for a long time has been positioning himself to, to run as, a, as an opposition candidate to Bartomeu. Xavi, you know, is, has a relationship with Victor Font for sure, whether he will uh, will go, will attach himself to that candidacy or whether he'll just wait and be the coach no matter who wins, we'll have to see. But Coman will have to do very, very well and will have to politically play it very, very well in order to, to keep the job past those elections. Okay, so the new technical director, uh, Roman Planes, he was Abidal's assistant, right? So what, what do we know about him already, Dermot? He's a very experienced guy within within Catalan football first and then Spanish football generally. He came up in, as a sporting director. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think he had a playing career, maybe as a semi-pro or that, but he wasn't. A, he's, he's not a famous player at all or not somebody who was known. He made his name um, as a sporting director with lower league Catalan teams got himself to Espanyol and was there at Espanyol at the time that Mauricio Pochettino was the coach mm. which there were some very good years at Espanyol they had a very good team um, you know were challenging towards the, the the top half of La Liga when Pochettino was there as coach then he went to, to Tottenham didn't work out there came back and was at another good good number of different Spanish clubs Elche, Rayo, Hitafe went back to Espanyol so he, he's a guy before coming into to Barcelona he's a guy with loads of contacts in the in the Spanish game but maybe and this is just my impression on it that he has you know he's better contacts um, at the level to be hiring players for for Hitafe or Espanyol than at the very top at Barcelona but the idea when he came in was maybe that he was the guy who Abidal you know had the had the name had the reputation had maybe the contacts at the higher level amongst the, the superstar end of the game and knew the players in the dressing room whereas Planas was the guy who had more experience of getting deals done of of the how the system works if you know what I mean okay that's interesting well listen uh, as, as far as the the signings uh, are we have uh, Miralem Pjanic has come in Trincao Pedri Mateus Fernandez too but clearly there's lots left to do uh, so before we get to new people coming in should we start with uh, with people leaving Don't who, who do you think will be leaving this summer? That depends on whether the club president Bartomeu gets to do what what he has said he will do because he basically said that they're going to keep everybody. He drew a line almost at, at 30 and said everybody under 30 more or less is going to stay. That includes uh, people like Griezmann or Semedo or you know people who, who didn't have great seasons and everybody over 30 with the exception of Lionel Messi is going to go. So that means Suarez, Busquets, Jordi Alba, Gerard Pique, people who have given you know, their, most of them, their, their whole careers or the biggest part of their careers to Barcelona have won Champions Leagues and La Ligas and everything. The president more or less said that, you know, we're going to wipe these out and, and start again. Now, that's easier said than done, as been writing on The Athletic, that these guys are on huge wages, um, some of the best played players in the world. And this is a, a very difficult market with, with all that's been happening in, in football and with everybody in the world over the last six months that to, to just try to think you can move all these guys out is going to be very difficult. Coman seems to have a more pragmatic approach and um, maybe to hang on to, to some of them and let others go. But, you know, that as I was saying, the way that the things have been choreographed, there's been a lot of, of well-placed leaks to the to the local papers that Suarez, you know, that Coman doesn't want him, whether it's Coman who doesn't want him or whether it's the club who've said that we need to get rid of this guy because he earns too much and, and we don't think he's any good anymore. Um, not sure, but 
you know, it's going to be very difficult for them to get these guys off. So a lot of a lot of the transfer business that they do will depend on finding somebody who will take Suarez um, or somebody who will sign Jordi Alba or, or PK or even Umtiti, guys like this who are on big wages but who haven't played so well recently. So Alex, we've already covered Barcelona in a sensible transfers video, but let's go back over some of the areas that we were we needed to strengthen. Um, in a WhatsApp conversation you and I had about Sergio Roberto, um, we kind of described him as less a right back, more just the guy that happens to play at right back. Um, so picks for that area of the field, please. Um, well, the obvious choice uh, now that Ronald Koeman is there is uh, Cucho Martina, who seems to be the one player that Kerman weirdly brings from one club to another, despite the fact that he's absolutely rubbish. Um, it's it's a weird one because, of course, we did this video prior to the appointment. Clearly, there was, you know, there had been rumblings about Setien um, even before the 8-2 defeat. Um, and Kerman is coming in without, I don't think, I mean... <laughs> As a Southampton fan, I remember his tenure there, but I, I don't think that there's necessarily a particular kind of style of player that he recruits. Um, and it seems to me that, as Dermot has said, a lot of his job here is about cleaning out other people rather than, than bringing people in. So I think it's really, really difficult to say. Um, I mean, the, the, the main pick that we had for this position in the video was uh, Serginio Dest of, of Ajax. Obviously, the Dutch connection there is further strengthened by Kerman being there. Dest fits the the profile of a young player, an exciting attacking player, somebody who has that kind of instinctive uh, understanding of quick combination play, plenty of pace, the ability to excite fans, which I think is hugely important for for Barcelona. And from a from a commercial perspective, as a U.S. men's national team player. There's clearly a kind of, uh, you know, an exciting opportunity there. People will look at how, for example, Christian Pulisic has has ignited an interest in Chelsea in the States and, and maybe Barca will have that sort of thing in mind. But as Dermot's made very clear, a huge amount of the ability to conduct this sort of business is going to be predicated on getting rid of people on huge wages. So it's really hard to know whether Barcelona are even going to have the kind of money to spend that would require... Uh, you know, or that would be required to bring in someone like Dest. Talking of huge wages, uh, let's move into midfield. Um, not a day seems to go past without Ivan Rakitic being linked with a move somewhere else, uh, most recently Tottenham. Um, Arturo Vidal is also probably one that's on a very high wage that the club could probably do with shedding. Um, Sergio Busquets will stay there presumably until he wants to leave or to do otherwise. Um, what are we doing in midfield in terms of the recalibration? What are we actually looking for first before we get to, to specific players? I think that we, uh, again, it's it's so difficult and I'm not kind of hedging my bets here. But so I, I personally, I think that Frankie de Jong should be the person that you build that midfield around, probably actually as a six rather than as an eight, um, because his ability to link play, to break the first line of the press with his ball carrying to, to orchestrate play from deep is really impressive. Obviously, there's a tension there because that's the Busquets role, um, but he may be one of these players who's on the way out. I think Barca will, will look to maintain the foundation of a midfield three, and so therefore, alongside Frankie de Jong going forwards, you need to have somebody who is 
a sort of ball winner, a presser, somebody who can probably get up a little bit into the half spaces to assist with with the creation, but is mostly there to keep things tight, keep things solid and, and, and instigate a press. And then on the other side, whether that's right or left, you want to have somebody who's more progressive, who gets up to support, who is kind of uh, like an 8-10 sort of player. I, I think that's that's the kind of construction that, that most top-level teams would want to have if they see the the deepest player as, as fundamentally the playmaker rather than as the ball winner. Um, the balance that you get there, I, I, you know, it's you might have a view towards maybe getting someone like Donny van der Beek across from Ajax. Obviously, he's got a relationship with Frankie de Jong. Um, he can be that progressive, bursting forwards kind of player. Um, I've always liked Sevilla's um, Joan Jordan for the, for the right-hand side role, somebody who's a good presser, very tidy passer, but can also get forwards to support. Um, some of the Leon midfielders, again, I think would work really well. So Hossem Oar uh, in that right-hand role who gets forward. Maxence Kakare is the kind of presser, destroyer player, but with an ability to pass. But it, it's so hard to know because you've got a coach who's coming in who doesn't, I think, have a reputation for a particular style of play other than maybe a little bit pedestrian, who probably knows that he's got a year, whose main focus is on clearing out stuff. So, you know, trying to predict what will happen in that midfield, which is such a crucial area, but is also the area where they are most stacked with the older players on high wages, is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Tom, are there any obvious candidates for this in the Spanish media or any suggestions about um, how Barcelona are going to remedy this area of the purge? Not so much. Like people have mentioned, Van der Beek's been mentioned a lot, and Wijnaldum from Liverpool has also been mentioned as somebody who might fit a little bit of what Alex is saying there, as somebody with a lot of physicality and who can get forward in, into the box and provide goals, which they've been really missing from from midfield, apart from Arturo Vidal, who, who they presume will be out. But a lot of the focus so far has been on the people who will leave, like Rakitic and like Vidal. And midfield is a big problem for Barca, but not something that they. They look to to see, or from from what we can gather from from the leaks to the local media, is not a place that they're really looking to to, or that they know what they want to get next. I think I think there's an argument potentially for for trying to give people like Puig, maybe even Carlos Salenia, a run in that position um, to see if that works because certainly with Puig, I think you've got a very very good player there. Alenia impressed in the. The small bits that he played for Barca didn't do very well in a struggling Betis team, but I think does have the makings of a good player. Um, and it may be that that that's the sort of that the easiest solution for Barca is is to to try and reuse some of these La Masia graduates to try and get the spirit of the club in midfield back. Obviously, it's so closely associated with Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets as that kind of trio. So. There are sort of sentimental reasons almost for trying those players because, again, in a year's time, once they've had the uh, the election, there'll probably be a new coach in. And, and that's the point at which I think we'll see the rebuilding. So maybe this season is an opportunity to kind of have a holding pattern and use some younger players, younger Spanish players and see how that goes. Moving on to Real Madrid. 
Uh, Dermot, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Juni Califat, who is the, the head of uh, South American scouting uh, at the club since 2014? Because we, may, we mentioned, mentioned him in our Real Madrid Sensible Transfers video. He's been responsible for bringing in all sorts of players to the club, including Rodrigo, Vinicius Jr., uh, Rainier, loaned to Dortmund. So who is he? Can you tell us anything about him? Yeah, he's a fascinating character. Um who has come a long way in a in a very short space of time to be you know such an important guy responsible for you know spending a lot of money at Real Madrid. Uh, he's from Brazil. He came to Spain first as a football sala player, a six aside indoor player, which is quite big in in Spain. There's professional league here, and he played in that. And while while he was here in in Madrid, he became friends with the Galacticos, Brazilian Galacticos, who were at Madrid around the same time. People like Ronaldo, Roberto Carlos, and um, that era of of Madrid and, and kind of became part of their social circle. So got to know people inside Madrid at the club as well. And um, even became friends with, or as far as we can work out, uh, one of Florentino Perez's sons who were all, you know, enjoying themselves at, at the same time in the same places at, at that stage. He then worked for a while on Spanish TV as a pundit. He was on, uh, he was very good on, on the TV talking about international football um, in a relaxed kind of a way, just but a, a very knowledgeable guy and, and a very good communicator. And then bit by bit went into Madrid and started working first as a youth scout, primarily in, in South America, working on, on deals to get, you know, he was involved in trying to get Neymar to, to Madrid was a big one and got a reputation as a guy who's very good with, with people skills. He's very good at, at going and talking to, to young players, especially their families, doing getting the deals done with Brazilian clubs, um, which is a bit of a minefield, I, I guess. You know, when, when European clubs go over to try and deal with the, the situation in, in South America, he was somebody who had the the contacts and the personality and the experience to, to be able to do it and, and really impressed at Madrid and moved up to get more responsibility and, and a wider job title with, within the club and now is one of the, the key guys who, who's involved in deciding where they spend their money and has been, you know, behind a lot of the Madrid's turn towards spending big on people like Rodrigo Vinicius Jr. Renier, who, who you mentioned there. Um, instead of maybe Madrid trying to sign Neymar or Mbappe at the very height of their careers, which you know they may try and do again in the future, it's not completely ruled out. But the, the idea was to, to identify who's going to be the best player in five years' time and to bring them to the club when they were more relatively affordable. And that he's really associated with that policy at Madrid over the last couple of years. They, that's interesting because you mentioned Florentino Perez and I was going to ask about his attitude to squad building because Madrid have obviously skewed younger so, so are you saying that is a predetermined strategy not just a reflection of the, the market's current state? It's a bit of both really in that Madrid um, when they had the you know if we go back maybe to, to 2014 when they win the Champions League for it was 2014 yeah for um, for the first time in so long the, the decima comes and they already have a, a squad who are quite young guys like and what Cruz came in afterwards, but, but you know, Varane, Ramos, uh, Marcelo, all, even Bale, Cristiano Ronaldo, all, all these guys were, were coming towards the peak of their career. And then they kept signing new contracts and the club were spending a lot of money on wages. And it was kind of hard to find, you know, better players to come in to replace them. You know, another 28-year-old who's going to come in and replace a 26-year-old or, or whatever in, in the team was difficult. So so they did look to to, to kind of prepare for, for the next team by, by signing guys who were teenagers or, or towards the start of their careers hasn't gone brilliantly um, you'd have to say but they do have a lot of players who are now maybe coming to, to fruition and also the Florentino Perez has gone gone on record a good few times about saying that um, they looked at the type of money that Paris Saint-Germain were spending especially when they signed Neymar the, the money that, that Man City had to sign you know full backs for, for 60 million and the, Madrid said look we just can't 
compete quite at that level anymore. You know, we used to be the, the team who who were able to spend the biggest money to make sure we got the biggest stars here. But the market has changed, and you know, where we don't have um, a big owner who's backing us, or we're not, you know, the, the PR arm of a, an oil state. So we need to find a different way of doing things. And he was quite open about saying that that was at least partly behind the change in policy. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to come to uh, you, Alex, in just a moment uh, to discuss uh, some of our picks. But the first one is is a backup for uh, for Benzema, who I think you know, had a fantastic season. Dermot, can you just can you regale us with who is currently available at the club in that position, or who who is a backup for for Benzema before we start looking for new people? Well, Luka Jovic was supposed to be the the guy who was to to be able to come in and at least give Benzema a rest in some games. And I spent sixty million on him from from Frankfurt just over twelve months ago. Hasn't worked out for him at all. Um, on the pitch he struggled he's only scored a couple of goals and off the pitch he's he's just kind of um, stumbled from from issue to issue you know he's been involved in breaking curfew for for the coronavirus he, he um, had some injuries as well which were you know unusual that that he picked up but the, the word around the club is that they they still believe in him whether that's because if you spend 60 million on somebody you you want to believe in him but they they see a guy who who has the qualities to to score goals for madrid and because he's there right now they want to give him another chance to score and also part of the club is borca mayoral who scored a lot of goals for Spain underage teams and scored some goals for, for Madrid as a teenager. He's been on loan for the last couple of years at Levante and he's, his loan is up and he's coming back. So in theory, he could you know, play the role of a backup striker, um, but more likely is that they will look to, to try and sell him and get maybe 10, 15, 20 million, whatever they can, uh, and maybe try and reinvest that in somebody else. So do you think this is a position that, that we might see someone come in then, or, or if they're confident with Jovic for the time being, then, then possibly not? Ideally, I'd say they, they would like to, and, and Zidane would like to, because there was a, an awful um, burden on Benzema to score the goals last year, and he you know, stood up and ha- had an excellent season, both scored and created a lot of goals. But, you know, were he to get injured or were he to go off for him, which he has done in, in other years, he's gone through through blips in his career where he hasn't scored so many goals. Were that to happen, they would be in big trouble because, you know, Hazard hasn't been a reliable source of goals. And you, know, you can talk about Bale and Hamez and, and all the other guys that they have. You know, it's putting a lot of faith in Jovic that will come good. And if they could get somebody else alongside that, they could even play two up front sometimes um, if they had another striker. Um, I think... Um, from a sensible point of view, that it would be a good idea for them to add another score if they could. Lovely nod to the branding there, Dermot. Thank you. <laughs> um, Alex, let's have it. A backup for, for Benzema, please. Well, I think the the key point here is that, that Benzema is not just a goal scorer. He, he does so much to facilitate the build-up play, um, particularly drifting across to the left, linking play fantastically well. Um, he's a very intelligent player, and he's one of these guys who... I think is kind of persistently left out of conversations about who the great strikers in European football are quite unfairly. So finding a backup for him is is extremely difficult. I mean, obviously Kai Havertz is probably going to move to Chelsea, but in terms of the kind of player that, that they would, that they would look for to come in and, and to be able to do both, he would be a, a good option. I mean, the, the two guys that we talked about in the video, um, probably the one I find more interesting is Carlos Fernandez, who's at Sevilla. Um, he's not he's not good enough yet, but as Dermot says, you're talking about bringing somebody in as a backup. Fernandez is only 24. He's very quick. He's very intelligent. He moves around the pitch an awful lot. He doesn't have to stay in the box as a kind of predatory figure, which is more what you'd want from Jovic um, if you were going to play two up front anyway. 
He's the sort of person who drops off, links play, and then uses his speed to get forwards into the box. Not dissimilar in that way to Havertz, who's an extraordinarily quick player. Um, the only issue with Fernandez is he tends to do that more on the right-hand side than on the left, and he is used to playing behind a central striker, um, Roberto Sodaldo this season. So for Granada, so I mean, I think he, I think he's got some of the tactical and technical attributes. To, to play that role, but it is quite a big step up. I also like um, Gonzalo uh, Paciencia of, of Eintracht Frankfurt. Eintracht Frankfurt have got two Portuguese players, um, Paciencia and Andre Silva, who's on loan from AC Milan, and, and they dovetail really, really nicely. Uh, and one of the things about Paciencia is that he, movements-wise, he's very, very similar to Benzema in terms of his drift to the left-hand side his ability to work with with the wide players to kind of be a focal point to link play and then get back into the box to, to score goals. And I think when you're trying to duplicate someone like Benzema, that's actually more important almost than stats is you want to look at movement. You want to look at where in the pitch that these players crop up to do that kind of linking and, and to find somebody who's got the awareness to, to move around to, to be a focal point, not necessarily just in the box. Um, and I think he, he has got that. Again, it's a big step up. And this is always the problem with, you know, you make a sensible transfers video for Real Madrid and everyone's like, well, we should just sign Mbappe. And it's like, yes, I mean, obviously Mbappe's really good at football, but you have to, you can't always just buy the most expensive player, particularly for Real at the moment. And, and you need to think about what's the kind of like for like replacement. Yeah, it's a shame. I miss that Real Madrid. They were always fun, weren't they? A uh, bit of a sidestep here, though. Um, I'm just curious, why were the club willing to let uh, Ashraf Hakimi go, Dermot? Basically because Danny Carvajal is the first choice right back and Zidane was happier to have Danny Carvajal starting most of the games ahead of Ashraf Hakimi. And they had a, a conversation about it and also that the club were looking to bring in some money um, because of everything that's happened Madrid had a big hole in their finances and he was a guy who who they knew they could get money from um, considering how well he'd gone at Dortmund like Zidane and Ashraf Hakimi would know each other really really well because Ashraf was in the youth teams with Zidane's son Luca so like they'd have a, uh, a relationship going back about 10 years and Zidane put him into the team during his first spell as coach at, at right back and gave him a you know as an 18 year old maybe a 17 year old gave him his debut and at 18 played him quite a lot so Zidane does rate him but was almost like they had a, a man-to-man conversation about what, what was going to happen. And Zidane said, look, do what's best for yourself. And what's best for Ashraf was to go and play regularly somewhere else, probably get more money as well. And, and that's why he left. Okay, win-win. Uh, lone players coming back. Uh, will any of them have a first-team role next season? I mean, there are uh, there's a, there's a short list we have here. Ceballos, Erdegaard, uh, Reguillon, and also Oscar Rodriguez. Are we expecting anyone to, to slot into the team, Dermot? Uh, Odegaard would have the best chance by a long way of those of playing, you know, the majority of the games next season or, or a lot of games next season. You know, there are a lot of competition for places there. He's, he's going to, you know, be up against maybe Modric most most directly for, for a place in the team. There's also Valverde who came through in the last couple of years. But Madrid are are keen to get Odegaard back. They could have left him for another year at, at Real Sociedad where he, you know, developed really well over the last year. But they said, we, we want to bring him back. The others... A lot of it depends on their relationship with Zidane in that maybe Ashraf and Zidane have a good relationship. Uh, Danny Ceballos and Sergio Reguillon do not have a 
such a good relationship with Sedan. Just between us, I was speaking to somebody who knows Reggion very well um, recently and was left very clear that there's no way that Reggion will go back and play under Zidane. Also, Madrid signed Mendy last summer and they still have uh, Marcelo as well. So there's no place for, for Reggion. So he's another one who Madrid hoped to, to, if they can raise maybe 25 million, that'd be great. Ceballos and Zidane also didn't get on so well. Ceballos... Um, had a couple of chances to, to impress under Zidane the first time around. Didn't go so well, and Zidane just didn't seem to be a big fan of, of Silvius's game. But maybe personality-wise, they didn't get on so well. So maybe he'll go back to Arsenal, or, or maybe he'll end up somewhere else. Um, Oscar Rodriguez is another one who maybe maybe Zidane, well, I'm, who, I don't know what his relationship is like with Zidane, to, to, is the fairest way of putting it, but he did very well at Leganes, but there's a feeling that he's maybe just not quite at the, the level to play for Madrid, so they'd be hopeful to, to maybe get some money and maybe have a buyback clause with him and let him play at a higher level than Leganes for a couple of years and see how that goes. Okay, when we come back, uh, I believe Seb's going to take us through Valencia. I'm here to talk to you about something very important today, and that's below-the-belt grooming. Now, Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming, offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped has just launched in the UK. Now, over here in the, in the dark ages, we've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped life-changing products and that's life-changing in a good way gang their third generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower and we have a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast you can get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20 20. Feel the breeze. That's not one of Manscaped's taglines. I just threw that in there. I've got some others that you might like too. Be free. Um, how about cut, cut down the rainforest? That's not, that's anti-environmentalist. We don't want that. Um, there, you know, Manscaped's is just happy shaving, which is great. But I like be free. Yeah. Maybe if, if the Manscaped people are listening, maybe, I don't know, you want to... You want to take that one, discuss it at one of your marketing... Be free! Manscaped.com. We're back. Sep, take us through Valencia. Yeah, I do really want to take us through Valencia because what on earth is happening, Dermot? Um, Ferran Torres has gone to Manchester City, which, understandable, but for £20 million seems a bit... I mean, he had, a, a, I think, a, an £18 million release clause in, in his contract. Um, so that seems a little bit low. Danny Parejo has moved to Villarreal on a free... Um, Francis Coquelin has gone uh, for less than £6 million. Um, Dermot, is Peter Lim trying to antagonise the supporters? Uh, if that's not his exact um, plan, then he's doing a very good job about it and ha- has been for, for a long time, really. Like Peter Lim, remember going back to when Gary Neville was the, the Valencia coach uh, four or five years ago. Now, it's been... Just, I was going to use a word that I, I shouldn't really use. Um, on <laughs> you can use the <laughs> word. Not it's to been a board. shit show uh, at Valencia for for a long time, pretty much since since Lim took over. Even before he took over, the reason he was able to come into the club was that they had dire financial problems, and he was kind of painted as a savior who was going to come in and save them from that. That obviously hasn't happened. He's been able to to use his own um, 
he's been able to use the club as a place to to put some players who he even had you know um, third party ownership rights of back at one stage when that was still allowed and it's still a club who does a lot of business with agents who are, who are close to Peter Lim they were managing to get along okay because Valencia is still such a big club and they had a lot of very good players who've been there for, for a while they won the Copa del Rey um, last season but then the all that's happened with COVID and everything has hit a hole in their finances and it's really hurt them because they were just about able to keep moving money from, from here to there or, or keep things rolling along um, just about until now and now they've just not been able to do it so there was even a story out um, in the press that the Valencia players instead of being paid for in August they got an IOU from from the club saying you know we'll pay you next year um, which didn't go down very well obviously and yeah basically they've just been re- trying really hard to get people off the wage bill trying to sell the players like Ferran Torres who had been alienated as well His the relationship between his agents and the club was not good even Ferran Torres himself who's a, a prickly character a guy who's not short of um, confidence in his own ability had fallen out with some of the senior players in the dressing room as well and just everybody everybody's falling out with everybody and it's a it's sad you know if you're a Valencia fan it's sad and even as a neutral or somebody who you know you have respect for the club it's a great Spanish club and it's gone through a really difficult time and it's it's difficult to overstate really just how how much of a mess that the club is in. Yeah, so um, picking up on that Ferran Torres um, personality, his exit interview was one of the spikiest I've ever ever read from a player. He, um, I forget where it was published, um, but he basically threw um, we threw Danny Parejo under the bus. Why? Why was that? What happened between them? I, mean, I think uh, by memory he accused him of not being a good captain or something, or there was clearly something personal between them. So, what was the genesis of that um, uh, that feud? Yeah, it, it was a remarkable interview for, by Ferran Torres in, in Marca and he really did, oh, he, he held nothing back. You know, he had a good go at, at the club at, and at Pareco as well, said he wasn't a, wasn't a very good captain. And the relationship in the dressing room between the older players, um, you know, Pareco's the captain, he's been there for a long time, and some of the younger players like Ferran Torres and, and Kang In Lee as well, the the Korean, um, who's also a very good player but hasn't really had a chance to, to show it yet was not good Torres he just grew very frustrated with what was going on he wasn't happy with what was going on at the club I don't know to be honest the, the genesis of the, the personal problem between Paraco and Torres but it just kind of shows that that everybody is at, at each other's throats at Valencia whether it's the like Torres it's not that Torres was happy with the club and siding with, with the owners of the club against Paraco they're both unhappy with the owners of the club just in different ways and everybody has their own problems to deal with there so they're just kind of all falling apart maybe it was a little bit of inexperience on his part to come out and do that but he, he felt so so strongly about it and he, he's a guy who a lot of for, for you know 10 years he's been the guy who Valencia fans have had a lot of hopes for everybody knew about him coming through he was brilliant for for Spain underage teams he was a star of of Spain under 19 teams who won the, the he scored two goals I think in the, in the final might be corrected on that but he you know his big performances for Spain was huge for Valencia and could have moved to Barcelona could have moved to England could have moved to Real Madrid but stayed at Valencia because he's he wanted to come through at his his hometown club. Super frustrated with the way that it ended. His agents and the club had really bad relationship um, with some of the sporting directors and with the the owners of the club. So it just ended really really bitterly. And I guess he felt that he, he wasn't getting the respect that he he deserved from either from the club or or from the senior players who who had their own issues and had their own problems and maybe weren't as worried about Ferran Torres' problems as Ferran Torres was himself. So talking of senior players. Um you know, obviously, uh, there's still an awful lot of very um, 
well-admired players at Valencia. So you know, someone like uh, Jose Gaia, Goncalo Guedes, Jasper Silicon is still there, Denis Cherishev. Um, is this going to become a is this going to become a fire sale, Dermot? I mean, you know, there's a lot of players. For instance, if if Maxi Gomez was to come onto the market, I'm sure there'd be plenty of suitors for him at centre forward. Like, what what what's next here? Is there is 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 Peter Lim done um, with his super villainy, or is there more to come this summer? <laughs> I think there's definitely more to come. The the Valencia would like to to keep Gaia and Carlos Soler, who's another really good um, youngster who, who they have, and use them maybe as the the core of, of a new team. Um, everybody else basically is up for sale, and who knows what will happen. Um, you know, Gaia wouldn't be a bad re- replacement for for Jordi Alba at Barcelona if that were needed, and if something could be done there. But Valencia would really like to keep hold of them both because they are very good players and also because they're very popular with the fans, maybe the last link between the team, because even as the fans have grown very disillusioned with the ownership, they did keep a, a very close link to the team, to people like Pareco, like Gaia as well. So that they, they kept the fans on side, which is, is really important. Um, well, it would especially be important if fans are allowed back into the club, but just to avoid everything going over the edge completely, to, to, to keep that link was good. So they would like to... to, to the owners are aware of that and would like to keep that but but who knows really what, what will happen Okay let's chat about Atletico Madrid uh, and Alex I'm going to ask you about Ivo Gerbic who's a keeper has been signed from Lokomotiv Zagreb and uh, he popped up in our, in our video series so I mean before before you tell me more about him can I double check as a man who doesn't know the answer to the question he's about to ask Jan Oblak is, is, is staying as far as we know or is he leaving and I've missed that No I, I think he's staying um, so, so Ivo Gerbic is a, is a backup keeper yeah, yes, he he will be, but but there's there's something about so I uh, I came across Gerbic when I was looking for a goalkeeper for for Sheffield United actually, um, and he is he's a he's a, an extraordinary talent. There, there's something quite oblacky about him. He's he's very big. He's very physically dominant. He's got quite a kind of upright posture. Um, very dominant coming for crosses. I think he's six foot five. Um, he's 24, um, hasn't received a full Croatian national team call-up yet, but but it is very much in the water. It's a, a matter of time. Um, and for a pretty bad Lokomotiv Zagreb side, um, his his saves to, to shots ratio was extraordinary. Unfortunately, the data that I have for the, the Croatian top tier isn't that fulsome, so it's it's hard to know. But... You know, he just he looks like a really strong, physically adept, technically good goalkeeper um, who was sort of, I think, kind of slightly under the radar. And, and I hadn't seen when I recommended him for Sheffield United, I hadn't seen him linked with any other clubs. So I don't know whether Atletico Madrid are, are particularly strong at, at scouting Eastern European goalkeepers um, or whether he was somebody that you know had kind of cropped into the radar because of some other competition, I I don't maybe know how they found him. Maybe he sent them an email. Him. Maybe he sent. Maybe his agent <laughs> sent them an email. Yeah. Um, but he, yes, he just he looks like he's got everything that it would take to become a top level goalkeeper. Um, That's nice to know. He's also pretty good with his feet as well. I mean, his distribution is not it's not bad for somebody who's so tall and and a kind of quite an old school goalkeeper. Yeah, he's he's a competent distributor of the ball as well it's a really good signing interesting interesting insight there can i say some interesting insight from me uh my favorite tweet ever is now the tweet of the video of that alligator 
uh, sort of slowly moving across the, the camera screen in the water in the shape of Manuel Neuer coming out to save yet another uh, one-on-one. Uh, I watched it about six times and uh, it's, re- it's really very funny. So, uh, you know, there you go. I've explained to you a thing that is funny in a non-funny way. Miscellaneous stuff now. Alex, I'm coming back to you. Uh, uh, Ueska and uh, Cadith are coming up from uh, La Liga 2 and uh, Elche beat Girona in the playoff final. Are there any players within those sides that, that you want to flag for uh, for potential or for, for impact or anyone that's interesting? Yeah, there are some interesting players. Um, I'll, I'll take you through this as quickly as I possibly can. Uh, starting with Elche, um, who play mostly in a, a 5-3-2 or a 3-4-3. Uh, Juan Cruz, their left back, um, is really, really good, uh, or left wing back. 26 years old, nine assists, very dynamic, very quick, lovely long hair. Um, Josima, who is their left centre back, but can also play as a left back. Uh, he's a very tall, very composed defender, good passer of the ball, brings it out nicely. Uh, and the kind of cult hero there is a guy called Nino who is their centre forward, who played every minute, I think, of last season and is 40 years old uh, and is a sort of slightly tubby little chap who who drops off links, play really well and also popped up with seven goals. Whether he will continue in, in La Liga is, I, I guess, up for debate. A, tub, a tubby 40-year-old. <laughs> well, yeah, OK. He's not he's not tubby-tubby, but he doesn't... I can't imagine anything like that. I mean, I've spent, you know... He doesn't scream yeah. natural athleticism, put it that way. Seb, you've hurt your back, haven't you? And you're a little, you're getting <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, I just, I just heard the description myself. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't kind at no. all. Okay. Um, moving on to Huesca, um, who play mostly in a four-two-three-one. Uh, they had Shinji Okazaki there, um, who scored twelve yeah. goals for them. Um, who Leicester fans will remember. Um, the standout players, um, I think Rafa Mir, who's on loan from Wolves, will be really interesting to watch as a striker. Um, but the two guys, uh, Eugenie Valderrama, who's a can play as a defensive midfielder, but occasionally pops up slightly further up the pitch. Really, really nice passer of the ball. Uh, only 26 years old, three goals, four assists. Just a just a very clever midfielder who sprays it around, knows when to try something more adventurous, knows when to keep the ball. Uh, and uh, Georges Polido, who's the captain, as the centre back as well. Uh, two goals and four assists from him. He's a ball-carrying centre-back, brings it out really neatly. Again, a good range of passing, very intelligent player. And lastly, Kadith. They've kind of got one star guy, really, um, who's Alex Fernandez, who plays either as a, a central midfielder in a 4-2-3-1 or as the attacking midfielder. 13 goals, but he was their penalty taker last season. Also got six assists. Really, really nice long-range passer of the ball. Fantastic at switching the play from one flank to the other. Um, they've also got a guy um, called uh, Sanchez, who's the right winger, who got nine assists. Uh, and a striker called uh, Choco Lozano, who got nine goals for them uh, while on loan from Girona. He's now signed permanently now that they've gone up. They've got quite a big squad, uh, and they've been really active in, in the transfer market, unlike Elche, who haven't made a single signing, as far as I can tell. Uh, Cadiz have brought in uh, Alvaro Negredo, um, the former Man City and Middlesbrough striker, who was at oh. Al Nassau uh, in the UAE yeah. um, and is now at 35 years old playing for Cadiz. So they, I think they probably will want to trim their squad a little bit because it's quite sizable. Well, good for Alvaro, hey? 
listen, that's the end of the, the La Liga Sensible Transfers podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to you, Dermot Corrigan, for attending. Cheers, guys. Uh, and of course, Alex and Seb, thanks to you also. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joey. We'll be back in a few days' time with another thing that is uh, similar but not quite the same as this. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye.